In the mid-1970s, Harvard University professor Edward Banfield made a remarkable discovery. He learned that one of the strongest predictors for success is one's long-term perspective. So a person who has a long-term perspective, he discovered, has more likelihood for future success than any other component of their life. More important than education, family background, intelligence, race, the most important predictor for future success is having a long-term perspective. Now, long before 1970, God told us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that he put eternity in our hearts so that we long to see beyond this life. But there's a tension because we are significantly limited in our ability to understand and see eternity. And I am so grateful that in Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 22, we have been given this amazing glimpse into eternity so that in our hearts might be awakened the most significant long-term perspective ever possible. And so we get to dig into that today, Revelation chapter 22. We're going to start reading verse 1 and 2. Now remember with me, last time we were in Revelation chapter 21, we learned about the new city, a glimpse into where we will live. And this new city coming down out of heaven is a glimpse into the new earth where we live. And it's a city beyond anything we could ever imagine, anything we've ever seen. It's a city that's walled. And it's filled with jewels and gold unlike anything we've ever seen or imagined. It's a city that gives us a glimpse into eternity. And right here in Revelation chapter 22, we're given a little bit more of this glimpse where we have the door of eternity just cracked open enough so we could look through and see the glimpse, the very thing that Jesus wants us to see so that we might see the long-term perspective that he wants awakened in our hearts. So let's read together verse one and two. And he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming out from the throne of God and of the lamb in the midst of its street and on both sides of the river was the tree of life making 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations. Anytime the scripture starts talking about rivers, I'm interested. Now this particular river, the river of the water of life, is referenced in the Old Testament in several places. One of the places is in Ezekiel chapter 47. And in that passage, 
God gives a picture of this river of the water of life. And it talks about this river flowing and everything it touches changing. It talks about this river having fish that thrive in that river. And it talks about fishermen standing on the banks of the river. I'm pretty sure it's fly fishermen. And they are catching abundant fish. That's my kind of river. I get that in my mind and I cannot conceive of what this river really is like. This river is unlike anything we could ever conceive or imagine in our minds. This is the river whose waters flow with eternal life. This river's banks hold and flow eternal life. This is a river that is unlike anything we've ever seen or experienced. Its waters are crystal clear, a purity that could only be described as living water. And this river flows right from the throne of God. Amazing picture. One time our family was hiking in the hill country and we were up near the headwaters of the Rio Frio River. And there's a creek, it's much bigger than what you think of when you think of creek, it's more like a small river that flows into the headwaters of the Rio Frio. It's called Big Spring Creek. We got the privilege of hiking back on some private land heading up to the the head of this creek. And as we came around the corner and we looked up into the hill where this river started, we saw these terraces with lush green flora. It was unbelievable. And over these terraces were a series of small waterfalls. It was gorgeous. And as our eyes went up those terraces, we saw coming out of the middle of that hill, a torrent, a deluge of water just rushing out of there. It was the beginning of that little river just gushing out of the side of a hill. And it was breathtaking. As spectacular as that was, It's nothing like this river that flows from the very throne of God. Along this river's banks, the banks that carry living water are the tree of life. We were introduced to the tree of life back in Genesis. Adam and Eve were given the opportunity to live in the presence of God and partake the tree of life. And when they sinned, God barred their way back to the tree of life. You know, every one of us have sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory. And God in his mercy and grace barred the way back to the tree of life for Adam and Eve so that none of us could eat from the tree of life and live forever in our state of brokenness. And God in his mercy provided a way to carry us back to the tree of life through the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection so that everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ will find an eternity where the river of life flows 
And along its banks is a forest of the tree of life, bearing fruit every single month. Never a time of winter where fruit is not produced, never a time of drought where food is not present. We will be ushered into eternity where we will live in the place where the water of the river of life flows and on its banks a forest of the trees of life. That's where we will live. And that opens the door into a glimpse of what we will do in eternity. We're going to eat and we're going to drink. There's fruit in abundance every season, never out of season, always fresh. And we will eat to our heart's delight, not because we are hungry. No, we will eat because we are joyful and living in perfect worship. We will eat and we will drink and we see the fruit of the tree of life and the water of the river of life as this glimpse into the reality that we will eat and we will drink and the leaves of the tree will be healing for the nations. What we get to experience in eating and drinking is described here in a glimpse so that we might know what it will be like in our new home. Now, isn't it interesting that we are told in eternity, we receive eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we're told that what we eat and drink, the fruit and the leaves and the water, are life. I love that. So here's, here's what it's going to be like. When we get to the new earth, we will be alive eternally. So much so that everything we do, even what we eat and drink, will be an ever-increasing infusion of eternal life. Every bite of food will be life. Every drink will be life. Everything we experience will be life. We won't have to be afraid of overeating, no gluttony, no risk of brokenness of any form. We will eat because we worship. And in all that we do, we will experience the ever-increasing delight of eternal life. Every bite is a savoring of life to the glory of God. We will eat and we will drink. I want you to look at verse three with me, three and four. And every curse will be no more and the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his bond servants will serve him and they will see his face. And his name will be written on their foreheads. When Adam and Eve were living in the garden before they sinned against God and all things were perfect, they walked in the presence of God. 
And they were given responsibilities and work to do as a way to glorify and serve the Lord so that in all they were doing, they were enjoying the perfect presence of God in their work and service. Then they sinned and a curse entered the work and the life of every human being. So that Adam was told, cursed is the ground because of you. No more you bring forth bountiful fruit as opposed to that you will find that your fruit only comes with thorns and thistles, a curse. But not on the new earth. What will we do? We will work and our work will be service to the Lord. And the only way to conceptualize what that work will feel like is to understand that what we will be doing in service to the Lord as our work will be absent of every curse. And the best way to visualize it is that every work we do in service of the Lord will be a work done in the very presence of God where his throne rests, where we will see him face to face. Moses was told in Exodus, you cannot see the face of God and live. If you see the face of God, you will assuredly die. But then Jesus came and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus gave us a glimpse of the face of God when he became flesh. But that was just a glimpse because Jesus has prepared a day when we will walk before him in his presence and we will work serving him to his glory. And the only way we can imagine what that will be is to imagine what it would be like to actually be in the presence of God and see his face. And instead of dying, find that in seeing his face, we are made alive more than ever. And then we just do what we want because what we want to do will be overflowing from having seen the face of God and made alive. And we will do it in worship with joy because we are doing it in the presence of God. He has written his name on our foreheads so that we know we belong to him and in belonging to him, everything we do will be because we belong to him. It will be perfect so full of joy, purpose, and worship. What will we do? Anything we want. Because what we want will be who he is and who he's made us to be. It's marvelous. Look at verse 5. And night will be no longer, and they will have no need of the light of the lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. What will we do? Everything we do will be in the light of the presence of God. Everything. Think about what you do in the darkness. When it gets dark, 
What's one of the first things comes to your mind? When it gets dark, what do you do? We sleep, right? We go to sleep. That's what we do when it becomes night. Now imagine a time and an experience where you could go into a room with no windows and close the door. If you do that today, you know that immediately when you close the door, you're going to have to turn on the lights if you want to see. And typically we like to be in a room that's dark when we sleep. There's coming a day when we enter a room with no windows and we close the door and we won't have to turn on a light because the glory of God will illumine our way and everything will be perfectly illuminated by the presence of God and we will not need to sleep. You know why we sleep? Now some of you really like to sleep. I personally can't stand sleeping. Um, I, I don't like missing out on life. Um, there are times when I, and, and here's the, the ironic thing, I don't like to sleep, but when it gets to be about 10 o'clock at night, it's like something just automatically clicks and I go to sleep. And so I can't avoid it. I don't like it, but I have to do it because my body needs it. I need the restoration repair from sleep. Now, one of the things we love about sleep is how it makes us feel. We like the feelings that come along with a good night's sleep. We like the refreshment that occurs when we wake up from a good night's sleep. We like laying in bed in that, that morning when it's kind of drizzling outside and it's a little overcast and you're just coming out of that sleep and you're feeling so good. You know what I'm talking about? All of those things associated with the things we love about sleep, all the refreshment, the renewal, that's going to be all that we experience all the time in perfection. We're always going to feel ready to give our best at every moment because our bodies will never break down. They will never get weary. They will never get tired. We won't need the renewal of sleep. We will actually experience the fullness of life in every moment. When it gets to be about 10 o'clock, if something fun's going on in my house, I miss it. And the next morning, I hear the stories of whatever fun went on in my house. My kids playing games. They're having a great time. I'm gone. And I'm so frustrated with that. I'm so glad in eternity I won't miss a moment of eternal life. Every single moment of life we will soak into the full because Jesus Christ lights every moment of eternity. So we walk with him in joy. What else happens in darkness? You ever get up in the middle of the night and try to make your way to the bathroom or the kitchen or something in the middle of the dark and somebody else in the family has left some things in the floor where you think they should not be? Well, that's a miserable experience. Or have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night and think in the darkness you're walking to the door, but you're a little disoriented and you said walk into the wall? Not a fun moment. In the darkness, we stumble. Jesus Christ will so light the way there will never again be a moment of stumbling into the temptation of sin and the consequences of guilt and shame. Everything we do will be in the light of God's presence and the freedom of doing exactly what we are created to do to our greatest delight. What will we do? Everything we want to do in the light of God's presence. And the scripture says we will reign with him you know, Adam and Eve, when they were given the garden, they were told, you get to reign over and subdue all the earth and all of the creatures on the earth. That was God's plan. And they ruined it. Their brokenness and sin meant that, not, that they would not rule over the earth, but the earth actually would 
fight against them and seek to rule over them. But God is going to carry out his plan and he will restore us. And those who trust in Jesus Christ will be brought into eternity where we will reign with Christ over his creation forever. Such that we will explore and subdue and rule and have every adventure we could ever imagine on the earth he created for us for his glory. We will reign with him forever and we will experience in increasing measure all that he is and all that he's created in all that we do. Think about the things you love to do. The things you love to do in this life. What you love to do is not mutually exclusive with what you will do in eternity. To have a heart that's filled with the hope of eternity does not mean that you love this life less. There are many things about this life that we love to do that God intends for us to feel and see a glimpse into eternity. That's why he uses these images that sound so similar to what we experience here and yet we recognize these images are not like what we experience here. The best of what we get to do here is but a taste and a glimpse of something that's coming. So imagine those things you love to do. Take out all the things that you don't like about what comes along with the things you love to do. Take out every form of brokenness and sin and disappointment in the work that you do. Take out the fact that when you work, you don't always accomplish what you hope to accomplish. And imagine work that is of the grandest accomplishment to the glory of God that leaves no disappointment and completely fills and satisfies you think about the things you love to do without the brokenness of sin and then imagine all of that made absolutely perfect beyond imagination that is beyond imagination and imagine that that is your new opportunity of life that's the glimpse of eternity that Jesus wants us to see in C.S. Lewis's books the Chronicles of Narnia, he describes in the final book, The Last Battle, a scene where he carries the characters in the Chronicles of Narnia into the new Narnia. So before the old Narnia is destroyed, he rescues them out of the old Narnia and puts them on the new Narnia because the old Narnia was not meant to last forever. It was temporary. The new Narnia is going to last forever. They are brought into the new Narnia and they are amazed. They are overwhelmed because the new Narnia is bigger and better than they could have ever experienced. And the only way they can describe it is when they get into the new Narnia, they feel more alive than they could ever have imagined feeling. And everything they look at and everything they experience is more alive than any life they've ever imagined. They see new colors. They feel new feelings. They have new experiences. And they are invited to come into the new Narnia and go further up and further in to explore and discover and to experience the gift of new Narnia. And Aslan just says, come further up and further in. And they keep going further up and further into the new Narnia. And one of the characters describes this experience. It says the new Narnia is like an onion and 
Every moment of going further up and further in is like peeling back a layer of the onion. Only in the new Narnia, the onion gets bigger, not smaller, every time we peel back a layer. That is the glimpse of eternity that Jesus wants awakened in our hearts. The hope of eternity. All right, let's look at Revelation 22, verse 6. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. You can bank on it. And the Lord God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show his bondservants what must soon take place. And behold, Jesus says, I am coming quickly. Blessed is the one who keeps or heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Jesus has shown us the greatest long-term perspective we could ever see. These words are faithful and true. When we started Revelation about 18 months ago, you believe that? In chapter one, we read beatitude number one, blessed are those who heed the words of this book. 18 months later, we read beatitude number six, blessed are those who heed the words of this book. Would, would you take some time this week and reflect before the Lord? Lord, how has seeing you in your revelation over the last 18 months changed my life? And thank him. Thank him for what's happening thanking for how you're being changed and now heeding the words of this book. But more than that, I am praying and hoping that we together as a church family would be characterized today in the days to come as a people who are heeding the words of this book because the way this book describes the promises of eternity is that they are reserved for those who heed the words of Christ. We're described here as bond servants. Those who have decided I will follow Christ no matter what. I will surrender my heart to him no matter what. I will make sure that I again and again realign my heart and my mind with the hope of eternity for the glory of Jesus Christ both now and forever. I want to be a bond servant of Jesus and I give my life to him. Do you recognize that God cares more about preparing you for eternity than you could ever care to be prepared? And he's simply waiting for each one of us to just trust him with our lives and surrender to him again and again and again that he might carry us into the hope of eternity forever for his glory. Surrender.
be a bondservant. It's only by way of being a bondservant of Jesus Christ that you experience the sweetness of being his child. It's only by way of being a bondservant of Christ that you experience the voice of God saying to you, he loves you. It's only by way of being a bondservant of Jesus Christ that you will find yourself ushered into an eternity far beyond what you can ever imagine. Invited to do a lifetime, an eternity of worship. It's amazing. Look at verse 8. And I, John, heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, don't do that. I am your fellow servant and servant of your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Worship God. You know why heaven is heaven? Because of Jesus. You know why eternal life is eternal life? Because of the presence of Jesus. Worship Jesus. You want to be prepared for eternity? You want to have the hope of eternity welling up in your heart so that you might serve the Lord more and more every day the rest of your life? Then make sure you strive every single day to live a life of worshiping Jesus. There is no greater opportunity to be prepared for or to have the hope of eternity welling up in your heart than simply worshiping Jesus. He's invited us to worship him and he is always ready to receive the one who surrenders to him. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking up to the temple and they encounter a guy who's been lame from birth. And people have carried him to a gate there to sit because everybody had to walk through that gate. And this man could at that gate beg for money because he knew he needed money. He was looking for anybody who would give him money. He was looking for the very thing that he believed would sustain his life. He was looking for money. And when Peter and John came by, they stopped at that man sitting there on that mat with legs lame from birth, asking for money. And they said to this man, we don't have silver or gold. We don't have what you're looking for. But we do have what you're really looking for. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And that man immediately got up and he didn't walk. 
He was running around and leaping in the air and praising God because he recognized in that moment in Jesus Christ, he received what he was really looking for. It's easy to act like we're lame, sitting on a mat, begging for a little bit of the life we think we're looking for. But Jesus is the one who's by his name and faith in him wells up within us the hope of eternity, knowing that one day Jesus Christ will give us what we're really looking for. Don't miss that day. Surrender to Jesus Christ.